Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. I hope you are celebrating and being celebrated, uh, doing brunches or flowers or whatever it is you do on this Mother's Day. God bless you. Uh, I have good news in the life of our church and in the life of our world today. Uh, This week, you'll see our faith candle is out. This week, someone stopped uh, by uh, a crossing guard who was out helping kids cross the street in the morning on the way to school and uh, introduced that crossing guard to Jesus. And every time one of our congregation members introduces somebody to Jesus, we love to tell that story and celebrate that. We light the faith candle to say that uh, you're, you're the light of the world. Jesus came into the world to spread his light, and we carry it on and spread it to others. So keep Keep sharing Jesus with the world around you. You never know when those conversations, those God-appointed conversations are going to open up and give you the chance to talk to somebody out there uh, about Jesus. So, so keep, your, keep your antenna out for those moments. Hey, we're continuing in a series this morning. This is our, our last in this series uh, about living a strong life. These are biblical principles to living a strong, healthy, and happy life. And there are five of them. We looked uh, at, first of all, at uh, positivity, at looking at the things of God, at focusing on whatever is true, right, noble, pure, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things, the Apostle Paul tells us. And focusing on the kingdom of God instead of focusing on the worries of this world is critical to living a strong and healthy life. Then we looked at passion, at finding your calling in this world. And I had six signs of finding your calling of the things that God has called you to. That's an especially good one to go back and look at if you're, uh, if you're praying over a job, if you're praying over a move, if you're praying over where to go to college. Uh, think about how, how you discern where God is calling you. Uh, we looked at positivity, passion, uh, and then we looked at people at uh, the people around us that God has called us to love. God made you to be a being of love. And he says the greatest commandments are to love God with everything that's in you and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, We need to be in relationships where we love and are loved. Then last week we looked at purpose. We are called to live for a purpose that is higher than ourselves. And so we uh, we looked at what it means to uh, live the great commission of Jesus, to go out and make Jesus' name known in the world. That is the the cause of we who follow Jesus. And finally today, fifth, I want to look at progress. People who live strong, healthy, and happy lives live with hope for the future, and they work towards that future by setting attainable goals and pursuing them. And Jesus, uh, you'll see, went through a process of growing and maturing in his life, and the Apostle Paul describes growing and maturing in his life, and you and I are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to, to progress deeper and deeper, closer and closer, uh, further along with him as uh, life goes. Let's, uh, let's take a minute and let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that you are a good and loving Father who wants us to have a healthy and happy life. You don't want us stuck in brokenness. You don't want us awash in anxiety and fears. You don't want us... You don't want us stagnant. You don't want us just settling down for what's comfortable. You call us to follow after you, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So teach us today how to do that. Teach us how to live for you and to follow you. Teach us how to be faithful to you and to obey your calling. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer, amen. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's dive in today and... Um, uh, look at uh, the, the life of Jesus, first of all. Would it be offensive to you if I said that Jesus grew up and learned things, that he matured, that he advanced along the way? I mean, we're talking about God incarnate, God in human form. How could he grow? How could an omniscient being, an all-knowing being, learn anything? And yet, Open your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that says, Jesus grew in wisdom, maturity, and in favor with God and all the people. Jesus grew in wisdom, maturity. Some of your Bibles say stature, but it's, the sense of the word in Greek is, is maturity, and in, in favor with God and all the people. How does that happen? How does God, when he walks on the earth, need to grow at all? And what does growing look like? That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says Jesus did. And remember, Jesus, at the end of his life, in the last week of his life, he gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Last Supper together, and he put a towel, a servant's towel on his arm and washed their feet. And he says to his disciples, no servant is greater than his master. And so if I, as your leader, will serve other people and wash their feet, so should you. You should see yourself as a servant. If I, if God incarnate is a servant to humanity, then certainly we who follow Jesus should be servants to our fellow human beings. And so if Jesus grew in wisdom, maturity, and in favor with God and all the people, so should you and I. He set an example for us in growing up, and you and I are called to do the same. Here's what it would have looked like to grow up in the first century world as a Jewish boy. Jesus would have gone through these stages of maturity and education as he was growing up. The Jewish educational system actually had tiers sort of similar to the way we have grade levels. We think in terms of first grade, second grade, third grade, middle school, high school, college, and so forth. But in, in Jesus' day, there was an, there was an educational system that the, the Jewish people used to bring up their children. And so uh, uh, a, a boy in, uh, at the ages of 6 to 12 would have gone through a kind of schooling that taught him to read and write using the Torah using the Jewish law books, which is the first five books of the Bible. And the goal of these was to memorize huge chunks of the text as you learn to read and write. This was called Bet Sefer. And between the ages of 6 and 12, a Jewish boy would learn how to read, write, and memorize Scripture using the Torah. From the ages of 12 to 15, they would advance to a level called Bet Midrash, where the end game was to have the entire Torah memorized. I don't know if you've ever looked at the first five books of the Bible. Genesis is 50 chapters. It's a gigantic book. And that's just the first one. Huge narratives, long descriptions of the sacrifices they were to offer in the temple. And their goal by the age of 15 was to have 
the, the mass of that memorized. Then for the best students, those who were uh, the most diligent and who, who learned the, the best, they advanced to something that was called Bet Talmud from the ages of 15 to 30, where they would be trained in the ways of the Jewish rabbi. And then maybe at the age of 30, they could be chosen to be a Jewish rabbi. That was sort of the dream of all the, the little Jewish kids growing up in the first century world in the day of Jesus. They would have grown up with the, the dream that maybe they would one day be a rabbi. A rabbi was a a teacher and a lawyer who interpreted God's law, decided the legal cases for the, uh, the people. It was seen as kind of a wise sage governing the people and leading them. Uh, this was what a rabbi was, and, and Jesus would have grown up in this educational system. He would have gone through these stages. There's, there's one account of him right around the age of 12 being in the temple and asking questions back and forth with the Jewish rabbis, the Jewish teachers who were in the temple. And they were amazed at his learning because he had been this, in this educational pro, uh, process and demonstrated himself to be advanced uh, among his peers. So how do we translate that into 2021? Jesus grew in wisdom, in maturity, and in favor with God and all the people. How do we translate that uh, into our day? Uh, well, follow along in the Bible now. The Apostle Paul also showed that he was in a, a process of advancement, a process of education and growth uh, as, as he matured. And he describes that in the book of Galatians chapter 1. If you don't already know the Bible well, Paul was the best first century, probably the best first century church planter and a, a well-known teacher and writer. Uh, his teaching was said to be a little bit boring. He put people to sleep sometimes, but very influential because he traveled throughout the Mediterranean world planting Christian churches and writing letters to them that now are, are contained in our New Testament. His, his writings have become scripture. And so he, he's a, uh, exerted an enormous amount of influence over the history of the world. And in his letter to Galatia, he describes his own process of growing up. And this is what he says. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. And the, the Greek word uh, for advancing here is prokopto, which describes the process of, of uh, forming metal into something that can be used like a tool or a weapon. And the process of taking the red hot metal and hitting it with a hammer and beating it out and so that it, it stretched out through the force of the hammer, that's the word that Paul uses when he says, I was advancing. I was beating myself so intensely that I stretched myself out and grew through that exer exertion of force. That's how Paul saw himself growing. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. That's what Paul's saying. I, I went through the process of Bet Sefer and Bet Midrash and Bet Talmud. I was training to become a rabbi, and I was advancing among all the other kids. I was extremely zealous for this. This, was, this is what I was living for. Paul was one of those driven type A kinds of people. It's why he exerted the influence that he did. He traveled all over the world of his day spreading the gospel of Jesus because he decided that was the thing that was worth living for. To say that Paul was a bit driven was like, is like saying that Einstein was kind of smart or that Krispy Kreme donuts are sort of from heaven. 
they're very from heaven. And, and that was Paul. Paul was one of these people who made checklists for his life and checked things off. And the checklist was like, memorize the Torah, check. Argue in front of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme Court. Argue in front of the Sanhedrin and win, check. Get permission to travel all over the world persecuting Christians to keep Judaism pure, check. And then later on, when God got a hold of him, go all over the known world, spreading the name of Jesus and planting churches, check. And now, to this day, every single week of the year, somewhere in the world, in fact, lots of places in the world, people are reading the writings of Paul and discussing his teachings. He was a driven human being who saw progress as an essential part of spirituality. Now, Jesus got a hold of his progress and changed him, sent him in some very different directions. But Paul will say, as he writes his letters to the churches, you all need to continue growing too. His letters are written to help people grow. And at one point, he uses a, a metaphor, he uses an image, appropriate to Mother's Day, about people growing out of their infancy and into adulthood. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready. Uh, Corinth is a church that's uh, at war with itself. They're fighting left and right, and they're acting like children. And Paul says, look, it's time for you to grow up. When I was there, I had to give you really, really basic teachings. I had to give you spiritual milk and not steak because you weren't mature enough. You didn't have the teeth for it. It's time for you to grow up, Corinth. That was Paul's message. And honestly, I think Paul could stand in any church in the United States today and say, hey, you all need to grow. Spirituality is not just about stagnancy. It's not about sitting and listening to a lecture every week. It's not about listening to the, the song list that you love in your car. It's about growth. And we need to grow deeper in Jesus. We need to grow closer to Jesus. We need to go further with Jesus. We're called to grow spiritually through the course of our lives. Just as, just as mom will measure your height against the doorframe when you're little and count the inches that you grow and count the inches that grow until maybe you, you pass mom up and you're taller than her. Jesus calls us to grow in faith, to grow deeper and closer and taller in faith. We, we measure ourselves academically. In our country, we're very intense about what kind of grades are they getting? How are their scores matching up? Are there standardized tests? How do they compare to other students? Where are they going? Where have they been accepted to? We measure those kinds of things in all sorts of ways. And when it comes to spirituality, we shrug our shoulders. It's something you either believe in or you don't. That's it. It's so stagnant, and that is not the vision of the scriptures for we who follow Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom, maturity, and in favor with God and all the people. So should we. No servant is better than his master. If that's what Jesus did, that's what we're called to do. Now, uh, I know, uh, as I say this, because uh, I'm setting up to tell you how we're going to do this, I know some of you love this and some of you hate it. Because there are some people who are just drawn to checklists and to progress. They want to advance. They need more merit badges to feel good about themselves. I don't know about you. I like creating checklists. And I like checking things off. Th those of you who are, who are progress-oriented, 
know that when you check something off your daily checklist, your brain shoots a little dopamine in there and you feel good about yourself for a minute and then you just need something else to check off. And uh, I don't know about you, I, I, I might be the only one who does this. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but I know I am. Uh, and I create checklists and I start by writing down things that I've already done so that I can check them off. I don't know if you, I, this may be just my weirdness, but I wake up, check, I already did that, I'm already awake. Eat breakfast, check. Today is flying. I've already done two things on my check. Make a checklist, check. I, this is a great day. I need a coffee break. I'm already ahead. I, I, I don't know. Some people are like that. Some people are not. And I know some of you out there hear this talk of, of progress and growth and think, I don't want to be evaluated that way. I used to have a close friend who was exactly that way. She was the worship director at a church where uh, I worked. And uh, we went to a conference at one time. And there was a a church, a pastor, a big mega church pastor up front talking about how driven his church was and how hardworking they were and how they set goals. And he looked out at us and he said, at our church, this is the way to think about it. If there's a volleyball game being played, you're on the team. You're playing the game. My church staff doesn't just watch the game. We're playing the game. If you just want to sit there and drink coffee and watch the game, you need to go to the church down the street. And while he's saying this, the, my worship director friend is writing out a note and she passes it over to me and it says, at our church, we drink coffee. If you want to play volleyball, go to the church down the street. Because <laughs> she did not like checklists. She did not want to be evaluated in terms of progress. And I know some people just are not uh, drawn that way. But, but let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. The Christian faith is a faith of hope. It's a faith of hope. It's a faith of future promises. Jesus is always calling us out of the depths of sadness and depression, out of the brokenness of sin, out of the, the lostness of failure, and towards a hope of a better future. You have never lost the promise of a better future because after this life, Jesus calls us to a place where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain and the old order of things is washed away. We are a people of hope. You, if you follow Jesus, you are a person of hope. And so while you might not be drawn to checklists, you might not like the language of progress. If you follow Jesus, you are a person of hope. And that is an essential biblical key to living a strong and healthy and happy life. We have to have a promise of a future. And so I want to talk to you about some stages of faith through which we might pass as we grow closer to Jesus. Um, there, there are different scholars that have tried to do this, that have written about progress in the, in the spiritual realm or in the moral realm. Uh, Lawrence Kohlberg famously uh, described the stages of moral development that we might go through. Uh, James Fowler wrote a book called Stages of Faith and tried to quantify steps along the way as we grow. I'm going to do a, a smaller version of that, but let me describe three stages of faith that we ought to go through as we follow after Jesus. All of us ought to go through these. And, and I want you, as, as you listen to this, think about where you think you stand in this and where you're going to go next. First, we need to move from apathy to admiration. There are a lot of people out there who say they believe in Jesus, but pragmatically, they are apathetic about Jesus. They say, yes, I checked the box, I believe in him, but they don't actually care, and it hasn't changed their lives. 
we have to at some point move from apathy to admiration. If you, if you hear about Jesus and you think, yeah, whatever. Uh, I'm not talking about atheists. Uh, very, there are actually very few atheists in the population. I'm just talking about people who don't care that much about the faith that they might already say they believe in. If you're in that place of apathy, read the story of the life of Jesus and see what part of his life most fascinates you or provokes you or draws you closer. What will happen as you focus on him is kind of like what used to happen uh, to my son when we would take him out to a restaurant. He was a little bit particular about what he would eat or not, and so we'd go out to a restaurant, and even if it was a buffet, a buffet of foods that he had never tried before, when he was little, he'd look at it and go, I don't like any of it. And we'd say, well, now, you haven't tried most of these. You have, these are new foods to you. Just try it. You're going to find something that you like. And inevitably, he would find something that he actually liked. For every person I've ever seen who turned to Jesus for the first time and focused on him, I mean, really put focused attention on him, read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's always something about him that captivated them. If you've lived sort of an apathetic faith, it's time to focus in on Jesus. Spend a concentrated period of time. Take the next 30 days and say, every day I'm going to intensely focus for part of the day on the story of Jesus and I'm going to reflect on his life. I guarantee you there will be something about him that captivates you. First, we have to move from apathy to admiration. Then we have to move from admiration to dedication. And dedication is where we're committed to Jesus. We don't just like him. Uh, we're not just a fan of him. We actually want to follow him. We actually want to give our lives to him. We need to step over that line and say, Jesus, I want to call you my Lord and Savior. I want to be baptized. I want to follow you. We need to move from admiring him to being dedicated to him. Because a lot of people like to click that little box and say, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Jesus. Jesus does not want fans. Being a spiritual fan actually puts you in a dangerous place of being inoculated against the things that Jesus actually wants to do in your life. It is not good enough to be a fan of Jesus. Jesus wants us to move from admiration to dedication. And I'll tell you how you know. I'll tell you how you know whether or not you are dedicated to him. Um, uh, recently, um, I was uh, looking in the, the freezer uh, at my house and I found in the freezer, kind of hidden in the corner, uh, one of those, those tubes of Thin Mint cookies. You know, the, the best Girl Scout cookie, the, thin, the chocolate mint cookie, the Thin Mint cookie. I found a tube of those. We, at my house, we put those in the freezer because they're better frozen than at room temperature. And I realized, finding it in the corner, someone had put it there and then forgotten it was there. And at this particular moment in time, no one knew that there was still a tube of Thin Mint cookies in my house. And uh, Girl Scout cookie season was over. And so this was it. Like, you, at this point, you start rationing because you're not going to have them again for a year. And so there's a roll of Thin Mint cookies. And I thought to myself, you know, my daughter really likes uh, Thin Mint cookies. In fact, she's, she's probably the one who hid them over here in the corner uh, in the hopes that no one else would find them. And it, and here they are. And she would she'd really, she would love these cookies. But she's not here right now. And she's probably not going to see me do this. 
And if I do this cleverly, she'll probably never know what happened. She's probably off somewhere doing something else with her friends, and she's happy and not paying any attention. I bet, I said, I bet I can eat this whole tube right now, and nobody will ever know. And if she finds out, she'll probably forgive me for it later. Okay. Now, <laughs> if there's something in your life that you would immediately stop doing if Jesus was standing beside you, then you need to move from admiring Jesus to being dedicated to Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus is standing right beside you at every moment. Not looking to catch you doing something wrong, looking to love you. But to be in an uninterrupted relationship with Jesus, we have to stop doing the things that we only do with the assumption that he's not around right now. He's maybe not paying attention. Or if he finds out, he'll probably forgive me for that later. Those are the thoughts of someone who is a fan of Jesus, not someone who's dedicated to Jesus. When we are dedicated to Jesus, we strive to live every moment with the reality that he is with us. Not because it constrains us, but because it sets us free. So we need to move from apathy to admiration, from admiration to dedication, and then we need to move from dedication to discipleship. And discipleship is where every single day of your life is given to Jesus. You wake up in the morning with a prayer. You wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, today belongs to you. What do you want to do with today? Remember, uh, following Jesus is like waking up in a house where there is a phone ringing. Because someone was reaching out to you before you were conscious. That's what following Jesus is like. He knew you when you were being knit together in your mother's womb. He was reaching out to you before you were conscious. Right? So we begin the day focused on Jesus, saying, Jesus, today belongs to you. Do with it what you will. And then here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. Think over your day. I do this in the morning. I think over the events of the day, and I pray about them. And I say, Jesus, what do you want to do in that appointment, in that meeting, in that class? What, what do you want to do in that gathering? Bless the interactions I have with people today. Bring me into contact with people who don't know you and who need to know you. Have us cross paths and let me enter into a conversation with them. And then through the course of the day, I, I look for Jesus uh, uh, moving in the, the things that are going on around me. I look for the interactions that Jesus is calling me to. Uh, I remember a time um, nine months ago or so, I went down to a, a pantry uh, during the day, and on the way down, I was driving down, and I was praying on the way down. I said, Jesus, when I'm at this pantry, you're putting groceries together to give out to people, I also, I want to meet someone who needs prayer for healing, and I want to meet someone who doesn't know you yet. That's what I prayed it, and I said it out loud. When I'm in my car, I like to pray out loud, and so I said it out loud, and I get down to the pantry, and I'm there, and I'm putting groceries in a, in a bag, and the first, the first person I talk to uh, who's helping uh, work at the pantry as well, is a woman who, out of the blue, says that she's suffering from diverticulitis. And uh, I've told you this story before. I, I prayed for her. I talked about a healing prayer. I prayed for her. And then uh, I said, now, is there anything that, because of your diverticular, diverticulitis, you couldn't do that you can now? And she turned around, and she picked up a heavy crate. And she said, I couldn't do that an hour ago. And she held her hands up over her head, and she says, I don't feel any pain. I couldn't have said that 10 minutes ago. And she was, she was healed in that moment of prayer. And then I ended up working with someone else uh, who was packaging up groceries to give out to people. And I thought, well, I, I prayed for two things. And the first one was someone to, 
to pray for healing, and the second one was somebody who knows you. I bet this woman that I'm talking to now, I bet she's not a Christian, just because that's what I prayed for. I bet that's what's up next. And I started talking to her, and I mentioned that I was a pastor, and I said, do you have a church that you go to? And she says, no, I'm not really religious at all. And so I got to talk to her about Jesus. Following Jesus as a disciple means every single minute of the day, you're looking ahead and saying, Jesus, what are you calling me to next? What are you doing here around me? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? We live our lives for Jesus as disciples. And then at the end of the day, we look back over the course of the day and we pray again and we say, Jesus, debrief today with me. The way, the way a, a coach debriefs a game with a player or the way uh, a mom uh, talks about the day with her kids as she tucks them into bed. Um, when my kids were little, uh, my wife used to do this thing with them where she'd tuck them into the bed, and she would teach them the language of emotion by asking them four questions. She would say, uh, did anything make you mad today? Did anything make you sad today? Did anything make you glad today? Did anything make you afraid? And in doing that, she walked them through the vocabulary of emotions so they could learn to talk about their emotional life. A lot, of, a lot of anger in the world happens because we don't know how to express our emotions thoughtfully and we don't, someone, don't have someone there who cares for us to listen. But here's the truth. At the end of the day, Jesus wants to debrief our day with us. He wants to look back over the day and talk about all that we did, all that we said, everywhere we went. He wants to to bless us with his love at the end of the day. Just like a, a mom tucking her kid in at night. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to live a strong and healthy life, here's the pathway. We have to move from apathy about Jesus towards admiration of Jesus. And we have to move from admiration of Jesus to actual dedication to Jesus. And we have to move from dedication to Jesus to daily discipleship. That, that's what it means to grow in wisdom, maturity, and favor with God and everyone around us as we follow after him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you call us to an adventure, not to static life, not just to sitting around and listening to religious lectures. You call us to, to live for you. And ahead of us, even today, you have plans for us. You have a, a day laid out for us where we might love people in your name, where we might introduce people to you, where we might follow where you're leading. Jesus, help us to hear your voice and to see your light on our path, to follow where you call us to go. Jesus, bless us with deeper and deeper growth in your name. We love you, and we want to grow close to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap Give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.